0: Well, good evening. I'd like to thank Pastor Davies for uh, inviting me to preach. It's such a blessing to come up here to uh, share the word with you all. And uh, so lovely and kind and make me feel so welcome. So thank you so much. Uh, It's the first time Pastor Davies, though, has been here when (laughs) I've been here. So either he loves his holidays or he's very busy with positive action for Christ. But anyway, it's good to be here, and I'm sure Pastor Davies will let me know how I, how I did come Bible College on Tuesday. Well, before we get into uh, uh, the Word and read a few passages of Scripture, this is the third of my series, and I think it works out well because you've asked me three times. So, uh, third of my series of the title, Ministering Saints, Ministering Saints. And the focus of Ministering Saints is looking at the early church, And seeing the wonderful way that God has used many people in the lives of others and in the church, the early church. So I do have a who am I for you this evening, like I did last two times. And uh, let's see how you go. If you just want to put up your hand or you want to call out either way, see if you get who this person is. My real name is Joseph or Jose, given to me by my parents but this is not the name I'm known by in the Bible. I am a Jew and a Levite at that. I'm sure Pastor Davies probably already knows. (laughs) I was born in Cyprus. I gave the disciples money for land that I'd sold. I'm called the son of encouragement or consolation. Barnabas. The last one was, I was Paul's mentor in the faith. Don't know you've ever thought like that, but we'll see it this evening. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 4 we'll read from verse 32 to 37 and tonight as you're looking up that passage we're going to sort of go back to Acts chapter 2 and just do a real quick run through Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4 and then finish up with Barnabas looking at Barnabas at the end but I thought it would be a good study a good opportunity just to see the early life of the church and how Barnabas had a part to play in that Acts chapter four, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed in his own was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands and of houses sold them and bought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Hosea who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet let's pray and thank the lord for the reading father we do thank you for the time tonight that we can spend in your word pray you bless this time we thank you that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than to any edged sword so much greater than anything i could say but we take this time lord to go through your word pray that it uh, touches our lives pray that the holy spirit has an opportunity to work in us and draw us closer to yourself at this time so we pray for this time in jesus name Amen. You know, this passage is a great record of ministering saints at its finest. Saints who meet the needs of others and as scripture said, they had all things in common. We'll look at that a little bit later. The passage of scripture displays the early church having a great zeal for each other and over and above their own needs. It's also interesting to point out that Barnabas had a great impact on the early church, which was at its infancy at chapter 4. And I thought tonight that I would, as I said before, take a quick walk through chapters 2 to 4 and see the early church, and uh, especially as they get established. So if you turn back to Acts chapter 2, And I'll just give a little introduction to that before we read any further. The day of Pentecost is here, which is also the feast of Pentecost. This was to be 50 days after the first fruits, feast of first fruits. And in our understanding, the day of Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, which is Easter Sunday. And this day in history is significant for us because we know it to be the start of the early church. Now, some people have a differing view on that. But I praise the Lord that that's what we take as as the start of the early church. Um, The feast and the day were a significant on the Jewish calendar. And as a result, we have many devout Jews from around the Mediterranean coming to Jerusalem. And this is interesting as they get to witness the early church being born. God orchestrated this day to be the day that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell He was the promised comforter who came to the disciples in a spectacular way with tongues of fire as visual evidence. And God used this holy day as a great way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Follow along with me. We'll read some passages very quickly. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and they appeared, and there appeared unto them clothed tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Think of that last verse. And filled with the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful Uh, blessing that God has given us a comforter you only have to go back into John chapter 14 verse 16 and 17 and I'll read it for you save you turning there but this is what Jesus said he said and I will pray the father that he shall give you another comforter that you may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you those two phrases really important i want you to see the words here the holy spirit was currently with them but was not dwelling in them yet so you notice that phrase but ye know him for he dwelleth with you present tense but he shall future tense be in you and acts chapter 2 verse 4 is the very fulfillment of jesus's prayer god answered his own son's prayer in spectacular fashion verse four and they were filled they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and they were dwelling at jerusalem jews devout men out of every nation under heaven and now when they sorry now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language What a wonderful, extraordinary sight to see at that particular time. And the Holy Spirit has come in a very visible sign, very visible way. And now they have the power of the Holy Spirit, gives the disciples the ability to speak in another language. And the people around them can hear it in their own tongue. No need for Duolingo or Rosetta Stone, some software that might help you over years to learn other languages. They had it in an instant all they needed was the holy spirit's power not years of study in another language what a wonderful blessing to to spread the gospel quickly was the need for them to hear it in their own tongue but i like the fact that peter with great boldness gets up to address these devout jews verse 14 But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. You know, as Peter's preaching, I asked the question, what was the main theme of his message do you think he would give to these devout Jews and from all around the Mediterranean? Verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever, Shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. You know what the Jewish men needed to know more than anything else? They needed the gospel first and foremost. And so don't we all. To have a walk with God, to have a walk with the Lord Jesus, we need the gospel. Doctrine's important, having solid teaching is important, but you've got to start with the gospel. I also find it very interesting that at this point, Peter's not going to let them off either, lightly. He goes on to say in verse 32, and just note what he's talking about, that this same Jesus, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath set forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith himself the Lord said it my Lord sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus notice these words whom ye crucified both Lord and Christ what a statement whom ye crucified you nailed him to a cross and he's both lord and christ. You know, at this point you can see the holy spirit working straight away because of their response. Amazing the work of the holy spirit when you can sit back and see him work in the lives of people and how he can change and transform. What happened in verse 37? Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do let me ask you the question who does the pricking the holy spirit what a wonderful blessing to have that holy spirit reside within but he doesn't just reside within john chapter 16 verse 7 and 8 i'll just read these quickly nevertheless i tell you the truth it is expedient for you that i go away for if i go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if i depart I will send him unto you. And when he has come, this is his job. This is what Jesus is saying. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit is not just come unto the believer, but he has come to this world to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And yes, the Holy Spirit does indwell the believer. But he is in this world to work amongst the unbelievers as well. His job is to reveal Christ to the world. Now, getting back to the story, how does Peter respond to this? Acts 2:38. Then Peter said unto him, "Then repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." You know, you too can receive the forgiveness of sin and the free gift of the Holy Spirit there's no works on our part it's just simply accepting by faith all that God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ and as we sang tonight there is power in that blood can cleanse and wash away our sins what a wonderful joy and hope we have as Christians what hope and joy you can have if you're not saved tonight now what is the result of Christ? Being preached. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 Then they that gladly received his words were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a wonderful day! Can you imagine 3,000 souls coming to the Lord in the space of a day? I think that would shock us if we saw that happen today. 3,000 souls used to be just, just the first stand at the Coffs Harbour Stadium. Now they've expanded it, which would be more, but you can imagine that first stadium stand full of newborn Christians. Now we move on to Acts chapter 3 and turn with me to Acts 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And we know this song very well, don't we? You could probably sing it back to me. Peter and John went to pray They, and it keeps going and you know it well, I'm sure. So Peter and John went together to the temple, Drop down to verse 11. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering... You know, Peter sees the people. What does he do? He seizes the opportunity to preach Christ with great boldness. Verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers have glorified his son, Jesus, listen to this phrase, whom ye delivered up and denied him the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You know, Peter, after accusing them of delivering Jesus to be killed of Pilate, gives them the very hope that they need. He gives them the way forward from them to turn from being sinful murderers to saved saints. What does he say in verse 19? Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That's a wonderful statement. I think we have a hymn that talks about our sins have been blotted out. What a wonderful thing to receive that blotting out of sin. The debt has been taken away from me. Somebody else has paid that debt and my sins have been blotted out. I trust that you have that joy of knowing that tonight. You know, we mustn't take this for granted, though. For those that have repented and turned to Christ, we have our very dirty, filthy sins blotted out. And, you know, this should be causing us to continually praise, not just when we got saved, but forevermore. Our sins have been blotted out. We should be continually praising the Lord. Well, let's jump into chapter 4. Now the priests and the Sadducees were not very happy because the number of converts were growing. They felt threatened. From 120 disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 15 to 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And now in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, we see the converts recorded to men only to about 5,000. Let's read verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they had taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, what's the result? Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men were about five thousand. What growth the early church had In such a short space of time, more than 5,000 souls were added to the kingdom and now being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You know, we know that Peter and John were told of the chief priests to stop preaching and teaching. The chief priest really feared that this group of Christians were going to grow and threaten their religious practice. But no one, is the match for the power of God through the work of the Holy Ghost. Peter gets bold to preach the gospel again in verse 18 of chapter 4. And they called them, that being the Sadducees and Pharisees, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto him, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Let me ask you tonight, is that the same for us? Do you have that same boldness that Peter said, we cannot help but declare what we've seen and heard? We need to declare to others how God has worked in our lives and hearts. We need to declare others the gospel. And we should be doing it with such joy, such eagerness, such excitement to let them know that there's hope. The early church was instructed not to speak or teach in the name of Christ. And this was the start of threatenings, of punishment, and persecutions. So, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed to their God. The power of prayer is greater than I think sometimes we fully realize. As someone used to say, prayer moves the hand of Him who moves the world. Verse 23 And being let go, they went. To their own company, and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. So they prayed. What did they pray for? Let's see. Verse 29, And now the Lord behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that we, that with all boldness, they may speak thy word. Wonderful prayer. What's the result of the prayer? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Can you imagine your prayer having such great effect that the whole building shakes? I think it would Greatly scare us if we saw the building shake and we th- think there might have been an earthquake or something. Hope there's no fault lines through Grafton, but it wasn't a fault line. It was the Holy Spirit. Their prayer was heard by by God, and as a result, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God in God in boldness. That's what we need to share our faith: boldness to speak His word. What a spectacular result and response from God. Can you imagine the building shaking? From this point forward, they had boldness to stand against current persecution and stay true to their faith. And this highlights to me the strength of the early church and how spirit-led they were. Verses 4.32 and 34 gives great insight to their spiritual state. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands and houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and they laid them down at the apostles feet and the distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So what characteristics do we see in the early church? One heart and one soul. This unity was a wonderful evidence of the work of God's spirit among them. Being unified or having unity, they regarded people more important than things. All things in common, and that word common meaning koinos, shared by all. David Guzik writes, They recognized God's ownership of everything. It all belonged to God and his people. Because God had touched their lives so deeply, they found it easy to share all things in common. He goes on quoting another commentator It isn't accurate to see this as an early form of communism. Communism is not koinonia. Communism says what's yours is mine and I'll take it. Koinonia says what is mine is yours and I'll share it. Big difference. You know, Ryrie points this out as well. This is not Christian communism. The sale of property was quite voluntary. Verse 34. The right of possessions was not abolished. The community did not control the money until it had been voluntarily been given to the apostles. And the dis- distribution was not made equally but according to need these are not communistic principles this is Christian charity at its finest display you know they had great power and great grace I don't think we'd fully understand what that means but William MacDonald highlights this he said this is a mysterious power connected with lives that are utterly dedicated to the Lord This is not a coincidence that we read in verse 33, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. It seems that when God finds people who are willing to turn their possessions over to him, he gives their testimony a remarkable attractiveness and force. What a blessing. You know, the early church had great love for each other and as a result they lacked nothing, not in money, not in power, not in grace. You know, I'd say that we are definitely not in the period of the early church. We are really in the latter days of the church era, really. However, if you were to sum up what you see around us compared to the early church, what would you say? Are we characterized by charity, by love? Are we characterized by one soul, one mind? Are we unified as a body of believers and happy to share all things in common? I really love this from F.B. Marsh, who looks at this verse. And this is what he said about his era, based on these verses, keeping in mind that he was 100 years ago. This is how he observed the local church at his time. He says, one has said, in contrasting the early church with the Christianity of today, it is not a solemn thought that if the evangelist Luke were descending describing, sorry, modern instead of primitive Christianity, he would have to vary the phraseology of Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, somewhat as follows. And the multitude of them that professed were of hard heart and stony soul. And everyone said that all the things which he possessed was his own. And they had all things in fashion. And with great power gave they witness to the attractions of this world and great selfishness was upon them all. And there were, and there were a many among them that lacked love, for as many as were possessors of lands bought more, and some gave a small part thereof for a public good. So their names were heralded in the newspapers, and distribution of praise was made to everyone according as he desired. That was a hundred years ago he said that. You'd think it's more true today than then. You it's sad to say that mainstream Christianity has these modern characteristics built in and not the characteristics of the early church. And this brings me to the main character tonight, Barnabas. It'll be very quick. So verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. And Hosea, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, Having laid land, sold it and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now think about it for a minute. Levites could not own land in Israel. However, Cyprus, probably another matter. He had land and as the need arrived, sold it to meet the needs of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He had no question about laying it at the apostles' feet for their distribution to the needy. You know, they don't have what we have today, Medicare, Medicare social system that looks after us, we are truly blessed in this modern age but maybe we're too blessed because we think the government will pick up the tab, we don't have to. The best encouragement that you can give someone is a willingness to help them whatever the need is, money, time, sympathy, understanding or just a listening ear. You know we need to be encouragers just like barnabas i have three points where he was an encouragement number one barnabas gave financially to encourage the needy christians the early church was not mandated to sell their goods people sold their land and possessions from their willing hearts especially as the need arrived and it's not a sin to have property or possessions and we know the story in chapter five if you were to jump over there to ananias and sapphira they sold their land kept back part gave some to the apostles But lied about it. They lied about it. Acts 5 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? The apostles didn't demand it. It was his. He could do what he wants with it. And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast? not light unto men but unto God you know we do read in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that the Lord warned the children of Israel that when they came into that land having great possessions and a goodly house what did he command them not to forget the Lord but remember all that the Lord has done for you possessions and money can be a distraction to some we mustn't let it it's not a sin to have lands and houses and possessions but God only wants us to have a giving heart and if there is a need known that we can meet then we should pray seeking the Lord if we should give where you can God wants us to be vessels that have the ability to be poured out and the Lord can bless us and fill us to the brim of blessings we should be eager to pour out to allow the Lord to pour back in and I've seen that time and time again when you have a willing heart the Lord rewards you many times over you know we have this attitude what's mine is mine and nobody else's and if we do have that attitude God stops pouring the blessings in so what would you rather find ways to bless others son of encouragement number two Barnabas encouraged the church and this is interesting it's moving on a few more chapters through but he encouraged the church to accept Paul's transformation this is where I said earlier that he was like a mentor to Paul he encouraged the church to accept Paul's transformation from persecutor to preacher. God used Barnabas to introduce Paul to the disciples of Jerusalem. Barnabas, in a sense, became his character witness. If you jump to chapter 9, verse 26, you'll see this really quickly. 9.26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or attempted to join himself to the disciples but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had been the lord in the way sorry had seen the lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and now and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem you know Barnabas saw the need to be a friend And I'm sure this would have been a great encouragement to Paul. Paul could not get access to the disciples, which is understandable, because the question would have been asked, does a leopard change his spots? Has Paul really become a disciple or is he just putting on an act to further persecute the church? Barnabas went on to be Paul's mentor and friend, his missionary companion and worker in the faith. You know, the church needs more Barnabases people that will encourage one another to go on for the Lord, be a mentor to them and help disciple them in the Lord. Are you a Christian brother or sister that can encourage a younger Christian or someone new in the faith? Do you see the need to lift up and encourage rather than pull down and often be quick to be judgmental? Number three, Barnabas supported his fellow Christians even when others didn't. Just as Barnabas saw the good in Paul, he also saw the good in John Mark. Barnabas worked with Paul in the ministry at Antioch and accompanied him in his first missionary journey. And in the first missionary journey, they also took along a man named John Mark. Often called or said, often said John called Mark or John whose surname is Mark. We come across John Mark in Acts chapter 12 verse 12 in his mother's house, praying at the time that Jesus was sorry Peter was released from prison so 12 verse 12 and when he Peter had considered this he came to the house of Mary the mother of John whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying you know John Mark is also given the title in the church history as John the evangelist he is the author of the gospel of Mark and has said that much of what is written has come from Peter which gave the gospel its authenticity it's most likely that he was a convert of Peter and we can get that from 1 Peter 5:13 but John Mark as I as I said accompanied Paul and Barnabas and I think Barnabas was his cousin on their first missionary journey and during midstream bailed leaving them you can find that in Acts chapter 13 verse 13 and now it was time and Paul said to Barnabas let's go and visit the churches again and Barnabas wanted to take his cousin again John Mark but Paul hugely disagreed it was so severe that the disagreement that they both went their own way Paul takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark back to Cyprus and you can read that in Acts chapter 15 verses 36 to 40 but for the sake of time I won't the thing that impressed me is that Barnabas didn't give up on someone Paul refused to take him because he most likely thinks that John Mark will do a runner again and leave him. Paul questions his stickability to the work of God. Barnabas, on the other hand, was willing to give him a second go. And as a result, they split, go their separate ways. And the question was, was Barnabas right to give him a second go? Did Paul's judgment of John Mark prove to be true or does the forgiveness of Barnabas show faith in John Mark that gives him encouragement to go on for the work of the Lord? You know, John Mark comes up a couple of times in the epistles of Paul. And as I've done much research in this, uh, you can correct me, but there's quite a few references. Uh, There's a few references in in scripture and they believe that it's talking about the very same person, John Mark. Paul writes in 2 Timothy how much Mark is profitable for him in the ministry second timothy four eleven said only luke is with me take mark and bring him with thee for he is profitable for me in the ministry by the time paul is in prison and writes his prison epistles he mentions john mark by name philemon 1:23 and 24 Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in christ jesus greets you and so mark and aristicus and demas and luke my fellow laborers you know, the Bible never tells us really that there was a reconciliation between Paul and John Mark, but it's clear that Barnabas's desire to give John Mark a second chance paid off. Paul specifically asks for John Mark, and this proves that one's future does not define a man. Sorry, one failure, I should say. It, doesn't, it proves that one failure does not define a man. God forgives all if they come to him so just wrapping up with Barnabas son of encouragement what an encourager Barnabas was to all those around him Barnabas keen to support the early church and giving the proceeds of his land to those in need he supports the apostle Paul when the rest wouldn't and then in faith in John Mark was rewarded because John Mark went on to not only write the gospel of Mark but he's also beneficial to the ministry of Paul in the latter years What a blessing. You know, we all can be a Barnabas. We all can be ministering saints one to another. And I thank the Lord for our local churches, which allow us to serve and minister together in sweet fellowship. And so I trust tonight, as we've had a quick look at the early church and Barnabas, (coughs) that we're encouraged to be just like another Barnabas. You don't have to be a Barnabas. We're definitely not a Paul and a Peter but we can be a ministering saint. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray that you continue to bless the word. Lord, we thank you that we can be encouraged to be a son of encouragement like Barnabas. Lord, there is such a need out there for people to know the gospel. And Lord, they should see it in us and through us. And we should be keen to help and to lend a hand. Help us to be what you want us to be. We thank you for this night. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had in your word. Pray you can... Again, that it continues to bless us through the week. In Jesus' name, amen.